Good morning, everybody. Let's grab our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Kings 22 for our Sunday school lesson this morning. First Kings 22, assuming all goes according to plan this morning, which I don't know why it would, because it hasn't lost well, several mornings. We should be finally done with chapter 22 and all of First Kings. First Kings 22 uh, has gone on for quite a bit. There was quite a lot to cover in First Kings 22. We see uh, the joining of forces between Israel and Judah to take on Syria. And before they go to war, they wanted to consult with the prophets. So 400 prophets are gathered together. They're, excuse me, they're uh, asked if the Lord will be with them when they go. And 400 prophets say, yes, he will. And then the king of Judah, whose name does anybody remember? No, that's not it. Um, Jeho Jehoshaphat? Yeah. Jehoshaphat. <laughs> and Jehoshaphat asks if there's any other prophets they could consult. And Ahab says, yeah, there's this one guy, uh, Micaiah, but I don't like him. He always tells me what I don't want to hear. And so Jehoshaphat says, maybe that's the guy we should go talk to. And so they go talk to him, and uh, he says, yeah, you know, whatever. You're not going to listen to him anyway, so sure, just go ahead. And uh, they they tell him no no really tell us tell us what we what we need to hear, and he says okay you're gonna lose you're gonna die and uh, Israel's gonna be scattered like sheep with no shepherd. And Ahab goes see I told you he would say you want to be like Micaiah is almost saying they're going but I just said you're not gonna listen to me, so don't bother, and then that's exactly what you just did. And so. Uh, we see also in that story, which was how we sort of ended our last lesson about the Lord sending a lying spirit uh, to the 400 prophets, which is why they weren't lying to the king when they told him this, but they believed, you know, that's what was true. But Micaiah had received a true vision, and that's what he told. Uh, so I, I did you, I, I, English? I do just want to reemphasize. I, I, I said a lot of things. I think I spoke a foreign <laughs> language there for a second. I just want to reemphasize from our lesson, the last time we had a lesson, because last week was cahoots, right? We didn't have a lesson. So the last time we actually had a lesson, I did not teach that it's okay to lie. Now, I know there's a joke going on, but that's not what I'm talking about. I know you guys were teasing. What I'm talking about is somebody goes back or, or hears, you know, secondhand, Is that playing music? First I thought it was a Sunday school class. I'm like, what are they listening to? I, I kind of did too. I was like, what? That's funny. Anyway, I did not teach that lying is okay. Right? What I taught was about intention. Right? It's about more than just following the strict letter of the law. It's about the intentions of your heart. I compared to uh, the book of Proverbs says lying lips are an abomination unto the Lord. It does not say lying is an abomination unto the Lord. In the same way that it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. 
a very wealthy man can be a very godly and spiritual man. It's much more difficult for him than it is for a poor man, but it is possible. Uh, it, it's just as possible for a poor man to become greedy. Again, it's more difficult, but it is possible. The difference is intention of your heart, right? If in my heart I love this money I have more than I should, then that's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Right? But if I have money and don't love it and love the Lord instead, then I'm not doing anything wrong. Same way with the, the lying thing. Uh, if I tell a lie to do a good thing, like say I've got some Jews hiding up in my attic that the Nazis are trying to kill, and I lie to protect them, then I've done a good thing. Right? But if I'm lying because it makes life easier for me, or it's easy for me to cheat people out of things, or it's easier for me to take advantage of people, that's the intention of your heart. You can spin it any way you want to to us. When you reach heaven one day, you don't get a voice. God speaks and you shut up and he has the final say. And that's all there is to it. You don't get a defendant. You don't get to plead your case. An all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God tells you the way it is and that's just all there is to it. And the intentions of your heart will be known to him exactly. So it's not the lying and the strictness of the law that is the cause here. It's the lying lips. It's the dishonest spirit. Think back to the story of Abraham. Before he was Abraham and he was Abram and he went down south into Egypt to avoid the famine. You remember what he told Sarah to say when they were there. You remember this story? Yes. She was his... Sister, right. Wife. He said, say to them that you're my sister, because if they find out that you're my wife, they'll kill me so that they can marry you. Evidently, Abram didn't think very highly of the Egyptians. But when the Pharaoh comes to him and says, why did you lie? You know what Abraham says? He says, well, technically I didn't lie. He says, technically she is my half-sister. She's the sister of my mother, but not the sister of my father. So she is my half-sister, technically. But Abraham was still punished for this, and it was still against God's will. And we know this because God specifically says so. But even though Abraham didn't lie, he still had lying lips. Right? The difference is intention. It's not just that sometimes lying is okay, it's also that you can tell the truth and still have lying lips sometimes. It's not about the strict letter of the law. It's about the intention of your heart. So that is a very, it's a very controversial subject there. And I want to make sure that we're very clearly understood before we move forward. So let's pick it up now. Uh, point number five, as we start this morning, is the peculiar plan of the king. And it says in verse 24 of 1 Kings 22, but Zedekiah, the son of China, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. And the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and carry him back unto Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, 
and say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in the prison, and feed him with the bread of affliction, and with water of affliction, until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If thou return at all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. And he said, Hearken, O people, every one of you. Verse 29, So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and enter into the battle. But put thou on thy robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. But the king of Syria commanded his thirty and two captains that had rule over his chariots, saying, Fight near with, uh, with small, uh, fight neither with small nor great, save only with the king of Israel. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. So we see this peculiar plan of the king. And several interesting phrases that I want to talk about this morning, the first of which is where it says in verse 24, which way went the spirit of the Lord? Now this is Zedekiah talking to Micaiah. Right? And he's got the same problem that a lot of other people have with this story. Right? He's saying, how is it that God could tell me one thing and you something else? So he just assumes that Micaiah is lying. You're not telling the truth. I know what I saw. I know the Lord spoke to me. I know that I'm right. And that's true that he did see those things. The Lord did speak to him. But the Lord did also speak to Micaiah. So when he says, which way went the spirit of the Lord, Zedekiah is not, first of all, talking about the lying spirit that spoke to the 400 prophets. Because he doesn't even believe that exists, right? What he's talking about, because if you'll notice in verse 24, you'll see the word spirit is capitalized. Does anybody know why the word spirit is capitalized? Holy Spirit. Because it's talking about the Holy Spirit. Got it in one, yeah. It's the same reason the word God is capitalized. And oftentimes, even further than that, when you see the word Lord in the Old Testament, sometimes it's spelled capital L, lowercase O-R-D, and then sometimes it's spelled all caps, L-O-R-D. That's because those are two different names for God. And it's, that's how it differentiates in the King's English. So we are, we're talking about the Holy Spirit here. He's saying, how is it that the Holy Spirit would leave me to go into you? Zedekiah wants to know how the Holy Spirit could depart from someone like himself and be used by someone like Micaiah. Because he believes himself to be superior. He believes himself to be more righteous. He goes through his mind and, and thinks about how devout he has been to the Lord. And he discerns that there is no conceivable way that this man could know more of God's will than I did. Because he's just so much more righteous in his own eyes. You know, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, chapter 8 and verse 2, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies. 
So we can see that it doesn't matter how mighty or how righteous or how holy a person is, God can use anybody to spread his message, to give his work. God can use anybody, anywhere, to do his work. It's not only the most pious and the most holy and the most righteous. It's just those that are willing to do his work. We're all still a work in progress. That's not going to halt the Lord from using us. The Bible also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Think about Israel for a minute. Just geographically, you know, uh, just like as a little social studies project this morning, just think about Israel. They're tiny. They say the entire, I've heard somebody say before that the entire landmass of Israel would equate to the exact same amount of space. Not maybe not exact, but close to the same amount of space as Denton County. That's the size of all of Israel. How is it that a country that small can have such an impact on history? Because it's not just because of the Bible. You look at the newscasts. Israel's in the news almost every single day. Israel has one of the most, if not the number one form of martial arts. Theirs is the most effective. Israel has uh, many of the best programs around the world. How is it that this little country is able to do so many incredible things? Because God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things that are mighty. He took this people Israel and he made them conquerors. He made them leaders. Uh, they had the most prosperous king, economically speaking, that the world has ever known in Solomon. Never have we had a leader in any government that has been as prosperous in their economic standings as Solomon. All of this from this little nation of Israel, because God has chosen the weak things to confound the mighty, because he doesn't need somebody with big muscles. He doesn't need somebody with a strong intellect. He doesn't need somebody who's at the top of their game. He can take you where you are and bring you up to where he wants you to be. Anybody, Micaiahs or Zedekiahs alike, can be used of the Lord. So it appears that the arrogance we see in the Pharisees that we're actually going to be talking about a little bit in our sermon this morning, the arrogance of the Pharisees we see in the New Testament has already been born within the religious leaders of Israel all the way back in 1 Kings 22. Because this is the kind of attitude, isn't it? Somebody comes along with the truth and he gets slapped, literally slapped in the face. How could you know more about God than me? That is the exact attitude the Pharisees had toward Jesus. How could you know more about God than us? It might have been that as Ahab gathered to himself only the kind of messages that he wanted to hear, so too did these prophets have a desire to only give the kind of messages that Ahab wanted to hear. It is true that this is the message that they were given to tell. So they didn't tell any lies. But at the same time, it may have been that the reason or one of the reasons that God decided to give them this message was because this was the only message that they would 
actually give to the king. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that they were hiding out in caves trying to survive because Ahab and Jezebel were murdering the prophets of God by the hundreds. Elijah was on the run for his life, mighty Elijah, who with the power of God destroyed all those prophets of Baal in one prayer. And even Elijah fled from Ahab in fear. So it's possible that they would have been too frightened to deliver the message that was true. Which way went the Spirit of the Lord, he asks. And then his response we see in verse 25, and he continues on for a few verses, but he, see, he says, Thou shalt see in that day. He just keeps responding like he's got no fear. He's, he's on his way to prison and he's still mouthing off to the king. If you come back at all, then I'm a liar, you know. Still popping off to the king. You know, I can feel Micaiah's frustration. Can't you feel his frustration this morning? As he's telling them what's true, and they got mad at him, and threw him in prison, and continued to do what they wanted to do anyways. Have you ever tried to give someone advice knowing that if they ignored you, it would mean trouble for them down the road somewhere? You're talking to somebody, and you're like, listen, I know, but if you don't do it this way, then this is what's going to happen. And they go, ah, I'm fine. Do it their way. The exact thing you said was going to happen is what happened. And you want to just be like, why wouldn't you just listen? It's frustrating. This is precisely what Micaiah is doing, and he knows that when they don't believe him, it's going to be trouble for all of Israel. Because remember, that's part of the prophecy. They'll be scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. It's extremely frustrating having the answers and not being able to do anybody any good with them. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 18, For in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. I've heard it said before that wisdom can be the greatest blessing or the greatest curse. Because just because you know something doesn't mean you can necessarily do anything about it, and that's what makes it a curse. However, we have to accept the fact that some people will not listen. Some people are just not going to listen to you, no matter what, no matter what you do. And like Micaiah, this is something that we're just going to have to accept. Micaiah didn't stomp and get frustrated and angry. He, he continued to sort of pop off as he was led off to prison. But you can almost see from his attitude, he's not bothered by their rejection of the truth at all. He gave the truth as best as he could, and they chose to reject it, and that's not his fault. There are going to be people in your life that are not going to take your advice. They're going to continue to make the wrong decision, and there's nothing you can do about it. And in those cases, we have to learn to just accept the truth. Then we see... The plan, the great plan, after he's led off to prison and everything's finished off, they go to go into battle. And we see Ahab has this new plan. He says, I'm going to disguise myself in the battle. Now, 
why on earth would Ahab need to disguise himself? So they would kill him. Yeah, but why would he think they were going to kill him? Because of Micaiah. Because in openness and in front of the people and in front of Micaiah, this is untrue. Take this liar to prison. Hey, I'm going to put on this cloak and sneak into battle just for no reason, you know, just because. You know, some part of him had to believe the prophecy that Micaiah gave. And so, but instead of repenting unto the Lord, like he did before, Ahab chose to try and defy the hand of fate. Right? That's what he's doing here. He's trying to defy the hand of fate. And this sounds very heroic until you realize that the hand of fate belongs to the Lord God of Israel. The hand of fate is the hand of God. Ahab could have changed his fate by allying with the Lord rather than trying to get along without him. You know why Ahab had to go? Because as much as he repented a few chapters back, there were still idol worshippers in the land. Jezebel was still the queen. That's not bad enough on its own. I don't know what is. They had groves up that they worshipped Baal and Ashtaroth in Israel. There were You've had read about these guys called the Sodomites, and we're going to talk about those in a little bit. They were appalling people that Ahab continued to allow in Israel. And all of this, the only thing Ahab repented of was the thing God threatened him over. right? Because you did this, you took that land from Naboth, I'm going to kill you. That's what he repented over, nothing else. And so it was more like a stay of execution. The sin of Ahab here was one of indifference. The reason that he's got to go is because of an indifference. He didn't set up those groves, did he? No. We've read one king after another did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. And as we get into 2 Kings, that's going to get even more intense. All Ahab did was keep the status quo. Right? He didn't do anything. But he didn't do anything. Right? Like, he didn't do anything. He didn't commit anything. He didn't create any new sins for Israel. But he also didn't do anything about the sins that already existed that were bad enough. His sin is a sin of indifference. It wasn't enough that he just sat there and tried to keep the peace. He allowed the people to think that their sins were okay. And in doing so, he was actually usurping the authority of the king of kings. Remember, Israel already had a true king. That was God. And that's the kind of government we see in the book of Judges. It's called a theocracy, where God is the king of a government. Now, you want to talk about a utopian society. A theocracy, now that's a utopian society. I would say if there's any form of government that trumps the republic that we have in America, it would be the theocracy. But unfortunately, that's not an option anymore. Thanks, Israel. So, we're doing the best with what we have. The sin of indifference is just as bad as anything else. Who was it that said, I don't remember who it was that said, uh, I'm sure somebody here will remember, all that's needed for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. Winston Churchill. Churchill. 
That's very true. I mean, who would know more about that than Churchill? All that's needed for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. In the 1940s in our country was a time where we were called upon as a nation to plead after God, to appeal to God in an emotional way, in a real way, in a sincere way. And as time went on, that began to fade away. We had a time, like in the Old Testament, where the traditions of the church were something we used to really call after the Lord in our heart. And as the decades rolled on, it slowly became more and more of a legalistic tradition. We do this because it's what we've always done. We, we, we're just keeping the status quo as always. It's just the way it's always been. It's the way it always will be. It was about traditions and it wasn't about God. And the church has lost quite a few steps in America. People don't trust the church anymore. I mean, every other day, pretty much, you look on the news and you see some youth pastors being arrested for molesting a child. You know, you see the Catholic Church. Boy, the Catholic Church, they're a wonderful group of people, aren't they? Instead of these priests that are committing these atrocities with these little boys, instead of letting them face justice, they just move them to another country. They don't have to deal with it. There's no wonder people don't want anything to do with the church anymore. We've lost our sense of morality, and the rest of us that aren't guilty of these things, we're guilty of indifference. Right? We just sit back, we pretend like it didn't happen, we ignore it. There's a church. Anybody ever heard of First Baptist Church of uh, Hammond, Indiana? Anybody ever heard the name uh, Jack Hiles? Kind of sounds familiar. You probably heard it from Bible Baptist days. Uh, it was a big time church. Uh, anybody ever heard of Hiles Anderson College? It's a Bible college. Now these are all, is a really big church and it was a really big school and their pastor for many, many years was a good man. And then he retired and it was his son-in-law who took over the church and ran it for many, many years. And they found out that <clears throat> uh, this church who had these rules, right? Very strict rules. If you're uh, engaged to be married, you are not allowed to hold hands. Not allowed to literally touch each other until you say your, your wedding vows. And even then, you can't get married in between, uh, in the middle of the school year. You have to wait till summer before you can get married. You cannot, men are not allowed to wear, and this is not why I'm wearing this this morning, but men are not allowed to wear anything other than a white shirt. If you wear a colored shirt to school, you have to go home and change, come back. And they thought that their legalities and their rules and their letter of the law would save them until they found out that their pastor was secretly meeting a 16-year-old girl at a hotel room to have sex with her. That is where your legalities lead you. It is not enough. The sin of indifference is as bad as anything else. To turn a blind eye for me to not mention this and pretend like it didn't happen would be just as bad as anything else. We can't just sit idly by while bad men ruin Christ's reputation in America. 
we have to stand up and let people know what he was really all about. He's not about the legalities and the technicalities and the commandments and the letter of the law. He's about letting the down and outers, the ones being bullied, the ones being picketed at their weddings, the ones being hated, letting them know that the Lord loves them no matter what they do. Ahab chose to continue to be indifferent and try to hide himself from the hand of fate, and it didn't work. Which brings us to number six this morning, which is fine because we started with number five. So nobody go, wow, he's got a lot of points. Is the annihilation of Ahab. In verse 34, our story continues. It says, And a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariots, Turn thy hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day, and the king was stayed up in his chariot against the Syrians and died at even. And the blood ran out of the wound into the midst of the chariot. And there went a proclamation throughout, uh, excuse me, throughout the host about the going down of the sun, saying, every man to his city, every man to his own country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. And one washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and they washed his armor according unto the word of the Lord, which he spake. Now the rest of the acts and all that he did, and the ivory house which he made, and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah his son reigned in his stead. We see a couple of phrases I want to talk about here. A certain man drew a bow. Right, that's what it said in verse 34. This Syrian man had no idea that as he drew his bow, he was fulfilling the prophecy of the Lord. The impact that this one man had on Israel forever changed the course of history that Israel was on. They were on a path, a slow progressing path, and this man shot the king of Israel and it changed Israel for a long time. You know, it's most likely that this man passed away without ever knowing how important his actions were in God's plan. And in the same way, you will never know the impact that you have on this world until you reach heaven. It might be that your entire life you think you didn't have much of an impact on this world until you reach heaven and you see the droves of people whose lives were changed and you never even realized it. There's a story I heard a preacher say one time about a man in another country. There's an older man, and he couldn't do much for the church. He couldn't get out very much, and so he would just get out on the street corner of the place where he lived, and he had a fistful of gospel tracts. Now, for those of you guys who don't know what gospel tracts are, we've got some on the back table here. And they're just a little, it's a little like a pamphlet. And it's got a little bit of information about how you can know you're saved, how you can know if you die today, you'd go to heaven. Uh, you know, that, that kind of vital, important information. A lot of them have 
information about the church on there too, uh, different things like that. But that's what he's handing out was gospel information to people. And he'd stand on that street corner and he'd just hand out the gospel to people for as long as he could until he had to go back in. And he did this for years and years and years. And finally they were having a big convention where all these different preachers from all over the world were coming and, and uh, somebody brought the, the old man there because he couldn't get around very well anymore. And uh, as they were standing up to give testimony, he stood up and he said, well, I've done the best I can in my life, but I just haven't done much for the Lord. And all of a sudden, somebody in the, the building there stood up and they said, I know you. I was coming along here one day and I, I passed a street corner where you were handing out these gospel tracts and I took one and I read it and I became saved and I became a preacher. And another man stood up and he said, yes, I know this man. Same thing happened to me, standing on that street corner at so-and-so and so-and-so, handed me a track. I read it and I got saved. And guys started popping up all over that place about how just handing out a track, they got saved and began working the ministry. And all of these other people that they helped in the ministry, because this one man did what he could. You never know the impact you have on this earth. Something as simple as taking a track and just leaving it somewhere, you know somebody's going to find it. Could have an impact. You may never know how powerful that could be for somebody. I was out on visitation. That's what they call soul winning in, in uh, the church I was at. And I, was, uh, I knocked on this person's door and I got to talking to him for a little bit. Every once in a while, at least back then, you could get a good conversation going if you were nice. And these people were Mormons. And we were talking a little bit, but we were being polite to one another. And I asked, I said, do you mind if I hand you a little bit of information from our church? And they said, well, I don't mind if you mind me handing you some information from my church. And I said, great. So we handed it off to each other. And I got back in the van, and there was this old grumpy fella at this church. This church had a lot of old grumpy fellas. But this one especially was way out there. And uh, he scolded me for taking that Mormon's information. And he pointed to it, and he said, You've got the devil's stuff right there. That's what you've got. You took the devil's work is what you did. And I said, no, I got the gospel in the door of somebody that needed it. He said, you want me to tell you what they did with that track as soon as they closed that door? I said, I didn't know the Lord gifted you with psychic powers. And I said, beyond that, there's a verse in scripture which says, my word shall not return unto me void. And then suppose this, let's say they did throw the gospel track in the garbage. It goes, to, uh, it goes to the plant, right? But there's people working that plant that have to sort the garbage out. That's their job. And suppose one of those men comes along a gospel track that's been thrown in the garbage, picks it up, and he reads it, and he gets saved. You never know the impact a track can have, and you should never belittle the work that another person does for the Lord. All we can do is the best we can. We preached last week about a sower went out to sow. All you can do is sow the seed the best you can. We leave the results up to the Lord. Whether they accept it, whether they don't, is not my responsibility. It's my responsibility to spread the seed. So, just like this man that drew the bow, the impact you have, you may never really know till we get to heaven. And then we see, as we're talking about Ahab and the end of his life, verse 39 says this phrase, All that he did. Right there in the middle of verse 39, or toward the top of verse 29, it says, And all that he did. 
That phrase sums up the entire life of a man. This human being, this person that was born, had parents that loved him, that was raised, that had a family, that had a, a, a wife that loved him, that lived and died. That phrase sums up the entire life of a man and all that he did. Did you know that Ahab built an ivory house? We know that Solomon built a house with uh, different precious stones built all throughout it, didn't he? Made shields out of gold, but Ahab built an ivory house. I didn't know that till this week. Ahab built dozens of new cities in Israel. Ahab seems to be the kind of man that loved his people and did his very best to lead them. But history will only ever know him for failing to defy God. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 8 says, Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. All is vanity. Because nothing else mattered. The ivory house, all those cities he built, it didn't matter. The only thing he did that mattered was what he did with the Lord. Verse 13 of Ecclesiastes 12 says, Let us hear the whole conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Yes, I know, I said duty. But our responsibility, our obligation of Christians, and our understanding ought to be that the only thing you're ever going to do in your life that's going to last forever are the things we do for God. We fear the Lord, we keep His commandments, we live our lives with eternity's values in view rather than our own. These are the things that last. And I want to spend the last uh, few minutes we have here uh, finishing up chapter 22 and talking about the new kings, which is our seventh and final point, the new kings. It says in verse 41, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 30 and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and five years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shelih. And he walked in all the ways of Asa his father. He turned not aside from it, doing that which is right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken down. For the people offered and burnt incense yet in the high places. And Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warred, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And the remnant of the Sodomites, which remained in the days of his father, Asa, he took out of the land. There was then no king in Edom. A deputy was king. So it mentions the Sodomites, and I want to explain what that is. Because we know uh, the story of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And we know, we've heard the phrase sodomy before, right? So a lot of people take this to mean that this is just homosexuals and that they were driven out of the land because they were homosexuals. 
That is not what this means. As you read about the Sodomites, you can read that they had their own special building uh, near, in other portions of Scripture, near the king's house. Uh, this was a group of people that certain evil kings of Israel gave position to and I'm going to try to say this as tactfully as possible it was their job for these sodomite men to go out and to find attractive young men and to have them brought against their will for them and the king to play with that's as tactfully as I can say it this is what these sodomites were. And this is, if you'll look up the word Sodom, sodomy, sodomite in scripture, you'll see that these verses back up what I'm saying. These were evil people doing an evil thing. It wasn't just that they were homosexuals. They were doing horrible, atroc, uh, terrible things. And for that reason, when a good king became the leader over his nation, he drove them completely out of his nation. Didn't want them in there at all because they were violent, evil men. Now don't get me wrong, the Bible does say that homosexuality is a sin. But Israel was committing all kinds of sins. They were idolaters in the land, right? They weren't driven out of the country, right? So, so why should this sin be any different than idolatry? If I would think anybody was gonna be driven out, I would think idolatry would be worse than homosexuality. I would think it would be worse to worship a false god and burn incense to Baal and Ashtaroth than it would be to be a homosexual. Even though I believe that to be a sin. No, their sin was far worse than just being a homosexual. Their sins were violent and horrible. And so they were driven out of the land. That really kind of gives you a flavor for what it means when they say, and he did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. They really were doing evil things. Uh, verse 48 says, Jehoshaphat made ships of Tharshish to go to Orphir for gold. But they went not, for the ships were broken at Ezion Geber. Then said Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, unto Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with thy servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. And Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David his father. And Jehoram his son reigned in his stead. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria, the seventeenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father, and in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. For he served Baal, and worshipped him, and provoked to anger the Lord God of Israel, according to all that his father had done. Shh. So that is 1 Kings 22. We have finally finished the book of 1 Kings. Next week, 
good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, as they say, we're going to start 2 Kings. And then when we finally get done with that, we're going to start a series on why we believe what we believe. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, we are done pretty well on time. <laughs>